We're going to start off today, and I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read the passage for us today. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're looking at John chapter four, and we're going to read about the woman in Samaria. So, we're looking at John chapter four, and we're going to read. We're going to read the whole s- section here. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, my voice is just a little bit. I got a frog in my throat. But we're going to read uh, John chapter 4, verses 1, and I'm going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 26. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria... And so he came, down to, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for me, ask a drink from me, a, Samar- a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given to you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one who you are now, who you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, I perceive, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when neither, this, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for our salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. For uh, the last 15 years, I said earlier that we lived in the country of Bahrain, and Bahrain is a very, very hot place. I looked up the weather this morning and I saw that the temperature today when, uh, during the day was about 100 degrees Fahrenheit and it's about 78% humidity so it feels like about 113 degrees right now. And it'll stay above 100 from about April through about October so it is a very, very hot place. 
while we were there, one of the things that I did periodically, not very often, but a friend urged me to do this, he, would ur- he urged me to participate in some races. He was a runner, and he would run, he did the 100-kilometer race or something ridiculous like that. I never did that. But I did a couple of short races, so I, you know, it was like a, a two-kilometer run or a 5K run, or, um, and I did one that was a run and a swim and then a run. And in this particular race, it was during May, so it was well over 100 degrees by 9 a.m., and the first it was a swim. So I go and I jump in the water, and it was hot water. It was, like, it wasn't refreshing at all. I mean, because Bahrain's an island, so there's a sea around it. It was hot. And it was so hot, in fact, that even though I had water with me, I could not even finish that race. And to say that I was thirsty was an understatement. Because I hadn't even drank enough leading up to that, and it really showed. And what I wouldn't have given at that moment to have water that would have permanently quenched my thirst. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the woman at the well that Jesus meets at the well, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus, in this story, he's on his way from, from Jerusalem, which is Judea, which is down in the south, and he's going up to uh, the—can we go on to the next slide, please? Where— uh, He's going up to the north to Galilee, and in between, he's got to pass through this region of Samaria. And like it says in the passage, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't really mix. And as he starts talking to her, he offers us, he offers her living water. I want to look at a couple of things today. And I, and I, I when I asked about, well, what is there something I should preach on? And and uh, and um, it was mentioned to me that one of the themes that here is here at at Calvary right now is discipleship. So I'm going to connect this back to discipleship as we go through this. But I want to look at two things. The first is that I want to look at, at, at a choice, briefly at the choice that Jesus offers her and relate that back to discipleship. And secondly, I want to look at three different wells that she has to choose from. <clears throat> so let's go on to the next slide. So the first thing is a choice. While Jesus is speaking to this woman, he offers her a choice. He says to her in verse 10, if you look in verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so in this, he's giving her an invitation. One of the things that that I've learned about being in the Middle East and living there is that it's very high context communication, which means you don't say things directly, you say things indirectly, and you expect the person to read into what you're saying. And so when he says this here, you would have asked him, he's giving her an invitation, look, ask me about this water. And giving her an invitation to ask her about, the, ask him about that, and essentially giving her an invitation to follow him. And Jesus is engaging in evangelism here. Evangelism is the invitation to make a decision to follow Jesus. And there's three things here that he does in, and I think actually my slides are out of order. Can you go on to the next slide? He, there's three things in this choice. The first thing is he offers her a very clear choice. He says, drink this water. You can either drink from the well you have, we're going to talk more about those other wells in a second, but you can either drink from the well that you have or you can come and you can drink my water. And I mention that because oftentimes we think of evangelism, we think that people will figure it out on their own, that somehow uh, people will see that I'm a Christian and then they will want to follow Jesus. And sometimes that happens, but more often people need to be offered a clear choice. 
Because people who are not followers of Jesus are dead in their sin. Those of us before we were believers were dead in our sin, and dead people, as Tim Keller likes to say, don't ask questions. So he offers her a clear choice. The second thing is he offers her an immediate choice. He didn't spend three months with her developing a relationship before he told her who he was. He got there immediately. And one of the things we sometimes feel like we need to do when we think about evangelism is we feel like, ah, I need to develop a relationship with this person. They need to know who I am. And those things are good. Those things are good. But we don't need to do that. You don't need a a strong, long-standing relationship before you share the gospel with someone. Jesus does it right away. The third thing that he does, he offers her a choice that meets her deepest need. So she was looking for other wells for her satisfaction, for her joy, and for her contentment, and he offers her something different. And so one of the things we do when we engage in evangelism is we, is we, and we, we, we talk to the people around us is we listen to the things that they need and how does Jesus meet the need that they have. And part of the response is, the, is to submit to Jesus and to follow him. And part of that is recorded in the first chapter of Mark. The first thing that Jesus says in Mark is repent and believe in the gospel. And that's the call that Jesus gives, and this call that we need to give. Now, I'm not saying that we stand on the street corner with a sign saying, repent and believe, otherwise you're going to hell. That doesn't often get a very good response. But there does need to be that invitation to believe in Jesus and follow him. So how does this relate to discipleship? Let's go back to the previous slide. How does it relate to discipleship? Uh, The first thing is is that evangelism is a disart of discipleship. So if discipleship is a focus you need to have evangelism in order to have disciples. That's where it's, that's, for all of us, it's where it's, at some point, all of us, we were not following Jesus, and at some point, all of us, we said, you know what, we're going to follow Jesus. All of us, at some point, made that decision. Maybe we remember the day and time we made that decision, maybe we don't. Maybe it was made in a moment, maybe it was made over many, uh, many months. But that's where it starts. I'm not saying that evangelism is the most important thing of discipleship or it's the only thing of discipleship, but it is a part of discipleship. The second thing is that evangelism is a command in Scripture. So Matthew 18, Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the Great Commission. And oftentimes it's used for world missions, go to all the nations of the earth. That's absolutely true. But all the nations of the earth also includes Battle Creek, includes your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, your family members. And it's part of our obedience and our joy to invite people to follow Jesus. The third thing, and it's not up there because I added it after I sent this off, but evangelism is a natural outworking of discipleship. Part of discipleship is growing closer to who Christ is and growing in our love for God and for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And out of that love overflows wanting to tell other people about it. And we all have that thing that we just love to talk about right? If anyone even asks you about it, you're just going to start talking about it. Mine is economics. I taught economics for many, many years, and so if you ask me about economics, I like to talk about economics. I don't care if you like it or not. That, that has no bearing on my love for it or my want to tell you about it. <clears throat> so evangelism is a natural outworking of discipleship. 
So Jesus gave this woman an invitation to make a decision to follow him, and she had a decision to make. She could either drink from the well that he offered, or she could continue to drink from the wells that she was already drinking from. So let's look at these three wells and what she had and what we all have a choice to drink from. The first well. This is the well that runs dry. The Samaritan woman was drinking from a well that had already, or she was trying to drink from a well that had already run dry. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband to come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. That woman at one point in her life was married to that first husband. Now, we don't know anything about that woman and what she was like in the marriage or what that hus- who that husband was or what he was like in the marriage. But we do know this, at some point that marriage broke apart and that marriage ran dry. Now, marriage is designed by God. It is instituted by God. And it is a good thing to be married. It was designed to bring joy to the husband and the wife. But that well ran dry. And there are other wells like this that are good gifts from God and are meant to bring us joy, but they can run dry if they are the only well that we are drinking from. So what are those wells? Marriage? Children? Ministry? Friends? For some of us, our work? Hobbies, possessions, and there's other things lend to a lesser extent with greater damage, time suckers like social media or Netflix. And the problem is not in having these things, but the problem is that when they become our deepest source of satisfaction or where we find our most fundamental identity, we're trying to find our greatest joy in our marriage, we're trying to find our greatest joy in our children or our greatest identity in our job, and eventually these wells always run dry. Sometimes they run dry because of other people's sin. Sometimes they run dry because of our own sin. But ultimately they run dry because they were not designed to quench our thirst fundamentally. And when they do run dry, we often find ourselves disappointed We find ourselves exhausted, and we find ourselves spent. And when these wells do run dry, what do we do? Part of the the remedy here is to reorder our priorities. So if we can go on to the next slide, there's a quote from Augustine, the famous theologian from the 4th century, and he says this about rightly ordered loves. Augustine says, but living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things, to love things, that is to say, in the right order. And I think that that quote is a good reflection of what Jesus said when he was asked, what teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing that we can do? And Jesus' answer to him, to that scholar was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
the greatest commandment was not only the most important thing in terms of, uh, in terms of what, what should he do, but where should he find his joy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And second there is there's the greatest commandment. And then the second, it's not just second in order, but second in importance. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if we get those things out of order, then we're going to start trying to drink from wells that will eventually go dry. So the first thing that we love is we love God. The second after that is family. And then after that is everything else. Work and ministry. Hobbies. And the discipleship application here is that sometimes churches will have seminars or workshops or trainings on things like marriage or parenting or finances. And those are really good and really important things. But in all of those, you as disciplers with your disciples need to be pushing people back to be drinking from the well of Jesus, from the water that gives life. Because no matter how hard you try at your marriage or your parenting or your work or your finances, those wells will eventually run dry. I can guarantee you of that. And if that's how you're feeling, spent, tired, and worn out and disappointed, there's good news because there's another well you can drink from. But before you get to that well, let's look at the second type of well. Second type of well is the well of poison. Jesus addresses this with the woman in verses 16 to 18. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. That woman had chosen a poison well. Again, we don't know much about this woman, but I'd venture to guess that that first well of her husband, first husband, ran dry. And so she went on to the next one, and that well ran dry. And the next one, and that well ran dry. And now she was in a relationship, and she was drinking from a poison well. These poison wells are wells that feel good in the moment, but in fact are deadly. And we know that they feel good in the moment because otherwise people wouldn't pursue those wells. The Samaritan woman must have found something that she liked and thought she needed in that relationship. But the poison wells destroy us spiritually, emotionally, even physically, and socially. So what are these poison wells? Scripture has a few lists, so I want to read just one from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, sorry, chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. I've got a couple of them up there. You can look at those. Uh, I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm just going to read the first one. It says, Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, That might start getting real. Drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. 
So can we go on to the next slide there? Because I, what I did is I looked at those three passages, and, I, and, and some of them are repeated, and, and I put together a couple lists. But sexual immorality, sorcery, enmity, strife, dissensions, division, rivalries. Now, some of these things are less common in a place like Battle Creek. Typically, Battle Creek isn't dealing with something like sorcery. In Bahrain, every once in a while, we'd see in the news that someone in parliament, one of the Bahraini parliamentarians, was proposing that uh, there would be stricter laws against sorcery, against witch doctors. And so it was something that every once in a while that, that you would see crop up. But typically, a place like Battle Creek, Michigan, you're not dealing with a lot of sorcery. I don't think. I haven't actually lived here in 15 years, so maybe you are. I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> But there's others that are, more, that are more common to a place like this. Fits of anger, dissensions, rivalries, idolatry, envy, and covetousness. And those also are a little bit easier oftentimes to hide because we can all pretend for two hours on a Sunday morning. So we have two wells. We have the well that runs dry and we have the well of poison. And the problem with both of these wells is that both of them lead to death. That's the problem with both of them. And so we have a choice. Do we drink from the poison well? Do we drink from the dry well? Or do we take the living water that Jesus offers? And so Jesus offers everyone that alternative, a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that right relationship gives us access to the Holy Spirit and a personal relationship with God the Father. Jesus said in uh, verse 13 and 14, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And this is a well that does not run dry. It does not leave us wanting. And that's because it's totally different water from a totally different source. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. <clears throat> Everything that we have here eventually fades. It eventually goes away, and if you've ever had something kept for a long time, eventually it gets rusty. You just can't use it. Or even something that you find joy in, if you do it over and over and over and over again, eventually you start to get bored with it. But not the living water. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And the best news is, is that it comes without payment. 
Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 21, verse uh, 6, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water life. So, sorry. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And it's good news because we cannot pay for this water on our own. So how do we drink deeply from this well? How do we drink deeply from this well when everything around us feels dry? The first thing is, this may describe some people here, it may not, is that we repent. We submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. Without this, the rest of it doesn't matter. When I say submit to the authority of Christ, it means submitting those things in our lives that are poisoned under his authority and getting rid of them. We don't get the blessing of Christ without submission to his authority. Now, if you've already done this and are feeling thirsty and parched spiritually, one suggestion that I have is spending time in Scripture and prayer daily. Because that's one of the key ways in which Christ communicates to us, particularly through the Psalms. And praying through the Psalms. One of the great things about praying through the Psalms is, and letting the Psalms direct our prayers, is that if we pray on our own, we often pray for the same thing over and over, and we pray for the things that we want, and we like, and we think that we need. But the Psalms tells us, pray for this, pray for this. And sometimes we're challenged to pray things that, A, we would never have thought about, and sometimes things we don't want to pray about. So be refreshed in the Word. We are also refreshed with living water when we worship, both corporately and individually. So for any of you who are there watching online, some people legitimately cannot come to services, and that's totally understandable. But some people have started to have this idea that, hey, look, I don't need to come to church in order to be part of the church. And I just don't think that's true. Hopefully I'm not stepping on any leadership toes here. So you can talk to me after the service if I've... uh, but I, but I just don't. Corporate worship with other people is so important. And so if you are sitting at home watching this day and you could have come, I would encourage you to come next week because there is something unique about worshiping with the people of God. <clears throat> but also worshiping at home. And I would suggest that if you're not already doing this, to make worship music a regular part of your audio diet. Lots of great things on Spotify. There's a lot of amazing worship lists on Spotify. One of our favorites is a, a, a list of songs that is, the lyrics are only lyrics from Psalms put to music. And so we refresh ourselves through the word. We refresh ourselves also through the community. The encouragement that we get from each other And the exhortation we get from each other is important. And the Sunday sermons are an important part of that. That's a part of that. But it also comes to the individual relationships as we encourage each other, as we share with each other. So what does this mean for discipleship? What does this mean for those who are already followers of Jesus? I think the first thing is, is what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says that we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. 
sometimes that I'm like this, I like to learn new things, and if I'm learning something new, I feel really good about that. But oftentimes, we need to be reminded much more than we need to be taught. We need to be pointed back to the well of living water. We need to be pointed back to Christ often. So, disciples, remind your disciples over and over and over again to go back to the well of living water. Because our sinful flesh is always pulling us in other directions. Bringing people back to Scripture, leaning into Christ who cleanses us, bringing people back to repentance and confession, and dependence on Christ whose death on the cross covers our sins. And so remember, the discipleship is a little bit more than teaching. Teaching is absolutely critical, teaching is important. But discipleship is encouraging, exhorting, personally and corporately. One of the great things that I saw, I saw it in the bulletin, and then you made a, uh, an announcement about it as well this morning, is um, the, the class on Desiring God by, uh, by John Piper. Amazing book. Because that whole book is all about drinking deeply and finding your ultimate joy and satisfaction in Christ. And if you're sitting there wondering, man, how do I do more of that? How do I learn more about that? I would encourage you to go to that class, be a part of that series, because that is going to be a great way, not the only way, but a great way to learn how to do that. Because John Piper is all about seeing and savoring the goodness of God. So disciples, point people back to the cross. Point people back to where you find your ultimate satisfaction, which is the well of living water, through Scripture, through prayer, and through worship. Go on to the next slide. So to wrap things up here, if you've never given your life to Christ, there's good news for you. If you are drinking from the well that is dry, come to the well that has living water, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And if you've been drinking the well of poison, Christ invites you to give up that poison well and go to the well that gives life. Now, some people think, I've been drinking in that poison well. I can't go back. But here's the thing, is that we couldn't go back on our own anyways. Christ is the one who brings us back. And we don't do anything to earn forgiveness. It is a free gift. And Jesus not only takes our guilt, but he also takes our shame when we have been drinking from poison wells. Because part of shame is, what is everybody else going to think? What will my family think? That's a hard thing. And one other aspect of this for disciples and for us as a church is that when people come back to us and they've been drinking from poison wells and they want to come back, is that we welcome them with open arms full of the grace and forgiveness that Jesus has. And God forbid we ever talk to someone in a way that makes them feel like they are less than us or that we are better because we are not. We are not. If you're part of the church and are actively and intentionally 
drinking from a poison well, then I invite you to examine your heart and examine your salvation because I would question there whether you're right with the Lord. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. This passage up here, there might be some people here who find what I say hard, which is fine, but this passage here, First, second, sorry, Second Corinthians. Sorry, I gotta pull it up here. Second Corinthians seven, <clears throat> verse ten. Paul has just gotten after the Corinthian church on a number of things, and he says, "For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly grief produces death." And so all of us, when we are confronted with our sin, we have two choices. We can either respond with godly grief that produces repentance, or we can respond with worldly grief that turns us further away from the gospel and further away from Jesus. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary burdened, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the call of Jesus. That is what he offers in the well of living water. So I invite all of us to continue or to start drinking more deeply from that well. Because that is where we will find our ultimate joy. We find joy in so many of the good things that God gives us. We find our most important joy and our most fundamental joy through Jesus. If you've been drinking from the first two wells and you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to talk with you about that after the service. I know that Pastor Preston would as well. Because that is what we want. We want to see everyone know the love and forgiveness that Jesus has 